right. Good morning, church. As you have heard plenty of times today, it concludes our CLC Stay Retreat. So for those of you who have been with us all weekend, we hope you have enjoyed at least some part of it. The, the amazing worship by Bethel Grace, the, the Goddard size where we walked around and, and um, spent time in devotions with Pastor Calvin yesterday, the self-defense, the dance classes, and of course, the, the fun and the games that we had. Um, this has been our, our first retreat in our own church building. And, and our theme for this whole weekend, if you didn't catch that, is, is actually welcome home. Welcome home. What do, you, what do you guys think about when you think about those two words? Welcome home. For me, when I think about it, I, I think about, you know, going home to my family in SoCal after I've been away for a long time. Like, I, I moved up here when I went to college, and I never went back. <laughs> um, but I remember, you know, all the times that I, I go back home to visit my family, it's Christmas or different holidays here and there, and it's always so warm. I come home and they pick me up from the airport. They make sure that my room is nice and clean with fresh towels and, you know, like it's very, very welcoming. And without a doubt, every single time in preparation for me going home, they ask me, what do you want to eat while you're down here? What do you want to eat? And so without a doubt, I get a a home-cooked Indonesian meal made by my grandma or my mom. They always ask me if I want to go to All You Can Eat KBBQ. Right, we know that KBBQ down in SoCal is way better than up here. Right? Right, all you can eat, sushi. We we love our all you can eat in our family, and so I go I go home and I just eat. <laughs> I eat and I eat, and it's their way of saying welcome home. Right, welcome home. We missed you. When I think about those two words, I feel warmth and I feel comfort because I'm returning home to a place that's familiar, a place that's safe. Where I feel loved and known. That's, that's kind of how we came about this, this uh, year's retreat theme. As a staff, we've been reflecting on, you know, what it is that God wants to, to tell our people, what, what it is that we as, as CLC need to hear. Um, and, and we all know, we kind of lived through the past, you know, few years, coming out of COVID, we're still living in the effects of a COVID world, right? Where it's, it's, honestly kind of easier to be a little bit isolated, be a little bit independent, where you don't even have to leave your bed to, to stream church, right? <laughs> you don't have to come out and be a part of church community um, to do your faith. That's what we've, we've kind of had to deal with the last few years, right? And maybe even being sheltered in place, it's kind of taken a toll on our faith, right? Because we can do things on our own, maybe we start to distance ourselves from God, or, or we just feel a little bit further away from him, right? This weekend, we've just been asking, what did, where are our people at? Right? Maybe when you think about your relationship with, with God right now, it's great, but maybe if you're honest with yourself, maybe it's been a little bit distant. Maybe you've been spiritually dry, just feeling um, like you're just you're just living your life, and God is kind of part of it, and you come on Sundays, but not really, right? Um, that's how this, this year's retreat theme came about, welcome home. We felt like this was God's invitation to CLC to come back. Wherever you might be in your walk, in your spiritual walk with the Lord, God is saying, welcome home. Come home. 
his invitation to return is available to all of us. And no matter where you've been or, or, or where you're going or how far you've, you've gone away from him, the invitation still stands again and again. And that's what we're going to learn about today. Today, we're going to be diving into the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there with me? And, and I know that this is a pretty familiar passage. I, it, everybody has preached on this passage, right? But my encouragement to you this morning is, is just be open, right? Don't let uh, the familiarity keep you from, from being open to what God might be saying to you through, through his words this morning. This parable is a beautiful picture of the heart of God in the gospel and his grace that extends abundantly to all people. Here we say, uh, we see that welcome home invitation taken to a whole nother level. Now before I read it, I want to set the scene for a second. The entire chapter of Luke 15 consists of three parables. Um... And in the beginning of the chapter, we kind of see a little bit of what's going on, why Jesus chose to teach these parables in particular. And so I want to go back to uh, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You have Jesus who's, who's going, and he's doing what he normally does. He, he's going and teaching, and as we see in the scriptures a lot of time, people are just flocking to him, right? They just want to be around him. And in this text, we see the people are what we would call social outcasts, right? They were the ones on the fringes of society, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. These were the people who were notorious in their community for living openly and blatantly sinful lives. And they just want to be with Jesus and they just come to him, right? Well, you got the Pharisees and the religious teachers, they're just watching from afar and and they start grumbling, just muttering to themselves, who is this man? They're just scoffing at the fact that the sinners are, are, are coming to see Jesus. And more than that, it bothers them. It irks them to the core that Jesus actually welcomes them and receives them. He actually sits and shares a meal with these people. Right? This is something so radical. The, the Pharisees would never be caught doing something like that. It was against everything that they stood for. They, they wanted to separate themselves from people and things that were unclean. So they would never be caught dead being in the presence of of these people. And yet Jesus does. And he's sitting there and Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. Like he always knows, right? And so he he decides to use this opportunity. He's going to teach these three parables to really not just talk to the the people in in front of him, but to address the heart and the attitude of the Pharisees who are judging. Now, today we're going to be focusing on the third of the three, the parable of the lost son. But remember, all three parables had to do with something that is lost and is ultimately found. You have the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and finally the lost son. And that's where we're, we're going to begin today. Now, starting in verse 11, it says this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father. Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
Now in those days, according to Jewish inheritance laws, the firstborn son would receive a double portion of the inheritance. His portion would be twice as big as the next one in line. And so here, basically, the oldest son would receive two-thirds of the estate, while the younger one would receive one-third. And in those days, a father could either grant the inheritance before or after his death, but it was usually done afterwards. But here, as the story goes, the, the younger son comes to the father, and he's, you know, he's alive and he's healthy, and he says, Dad, give it to me now. I want it now. Dad, I don't, I don't care. I don't want to wait until you're dead. I want my money now. I want my freedom now. I want to go and live my life my own way now. So give it to me. Can you imagine if your kids did that to you today? Right? Like, I know if I said that to my parents, they would, they would ground me for life, you know, even though they can't even do that anymore. But they would. It was, it was completely insulting, disrespectful, entitled. But what's interesting is the father's response. He doesn't argue back. He doesn't get offended. He doesn't scold his son or get mad. He simply gives it. He simply divides his property and lets his son go. In this parable, the father represents God. And here very quickly, we already see God's love illustrated through the father's response. In some sense, God allows us to go our own way because he respects our freedom and free will to choose. He doesn't force us or coerce us into obedience. But because he loves us, he he lets us go and lets us decide for ourselves. And that's exactly what the Father does in the story. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to fields, uh, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You see, the, the, the younger son, he gets what he wants, he gets his money, And he actually leaves, like physically leaves home. He abandons his duties at home to uh, take care of the estate, to care for his father. And he goes off far away to a distant country where no one can judge him, where no one can tell him what to do. And he he just lives it up. He's just living it up. He does what he wants, when he wants it, and he doesn't seem to have a care in the world. And the the text says he squanders his wealth in wild living to the point where he has nothing left, right? Every last penny just gone, right? That's why the story is is called, uh, why he's called the prodigal son, right? Prodigal means reckless and foolish and wastefully extravagant. And that's what happens. He, He wasted it all. He's got nothing left. And on top of that, it says a severe famine hits the whole country. At this point, he's really desperate. He's really desperate, and he starts to feel, he starts to feel it. He starts to realize his need firsthand. And so, you know what he says? You know, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get a job. I'm gonna go get a job feeding pigs. You can tell how desperate he is because there's no way any respectable Jewish person at that time would take a job feeding pigs. 
right? To the Jews, pigs were considered unclean animals. And so you see his desperation right there. He'll do anything. All he wants is to possibly get something, a little bit of what the pigs were eating. But the text says that no one would give him anything. Can you imagine being in that situation, right? Talk about getting to your lowest point, hitting rock bottom. Have you ever felt like that? This was probably the younger son's lowest point that he has ever experienced in his life. Humiliated and desperate to the point of eating with pigs. Abandoned and deserted to the point that no one would help him. No one would give him anything. And when he's about ready to give up, the text says this. When he came to his senses... When he came to his senses, right, the wheels are turning a little bit for this young man. Like, it's his light bulb moment right here. And it says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to share, spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So at some point, the the younger son has a realization. He comes to his senses and he begins to to see and think clearly. There's something about hitting rock bottom where you start to do a lot of reflecting, where you're at your lowest point and you start to see things um, for what they are, where you're the most open to help and change because you have nothing left. And that's what happens here. And when you're in that place of rock bottom, I I think we tend to respond in a few different ways, but we see this young man go through two different kind of reactions. The first time he begins to feel his need, it's verse 14, actually. It says, and he began to be in need. So verse 15, what does he do? He went and he goes and he gets a job, right? It's kind of that mentality. Okay, I got myself in this mess. I'm going to get myself out. He tried that didn't work. And so this time around, he's now at his lowest, and he does it right. The younger son realizes he's been a fool. And somewhere along the way, maybe when he's sitting in his pig pen with, you know, the pigs, he remembers back to good memories, remembers back to a time where he was with his dad, remembers back to his dad who was a compassionate and reasonable man. Right? And so he just, he starts thinking and he comes up with this plan to go back home and he's practicing his speech all nervous, you know. He's just hoping to, to come back, not as a son, but as a servant. Right? He knows he doesn't deserve to be welcomed back into the family. He knows he's messed up. He knows that he's unworthy to be called a son because he's brought shame upon his family. And so instead of, of going and demanding that, he's gonna go and he's gonna ask and he's gonna try and work for his dad to pay back for what he has done. Can you already see the change that's happening in, this, in the son's life, right? At, at the very beginning, he's, he's entitled and he's arrogant, demanding his father to give him his inheritance. But now he's humbled, he's unworthy, and simply requesting to be taken back as a hired servant. What a change in heart, in attitude. And with that, he musters up the courage to go home. 
And the text says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Isn't that amazing? Right, the son is still a long way off. He's probably just walking really slowly, practicing over and over, just really nervous for what's gonna happen. And the father sees him from far, far away and he just runs, right? His heart is just melted, filled with so much compassion that he just, he drops everything, he picks up his robes and he goes sprinting to his son. This was completely a radical picture Right? In that culture, Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run. Grown men did not run. They just didn't do that. It was unusual. It was completely outside the rules of normality in that society. But this is exactly what the father does when he sees his younger son come home. And they're reunited, right? He sees him, he's kissing him, he's hugging him. And the, and the son is like, wait, wait, father, he, he's trying to do his, his apology speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he even finishes the whole thing, the father stops him and cuts him off right in the middle and says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Isn't that incredible, guys? <laughs> the father doesn't say, yeah. I told you so. He's not like crossing his arms and, and waiting to punish his son. He doesn't withhold affection to make his son feel bad for doing the wrong thing. There's no disappointment, no anger, no resentment or condemnation in the father's heart. Just unconditional love and joy and grace for his son who was lost and now is found, who was dead and is now alive. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Right? All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. The younger son wasn't physically dead, he was spiritually dead, dead in his sins, dead in following the ways of the world and going his own way, right? He says, but God, but God in his great love, but God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. And so celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. The father is filled with so much joy that he, uh, he throws a party, right? He does it CLC style. <laughs> he throws a party, the biggest celebration that he's ever thrown and everyone is invited. And he clothes him with the best robe and the family ring and sandals on his feet to signify honor and authority and restoration as a son not a servant, 
a son. And of course, he prepares an enormous feast. He says, bring the fattened calf, let's eat, let's celebrate, let's rejoice. What a way to say welcome home, right? What a beautiful picture of God's unconditional love, right? Our Father in heaven loves his children so much that he stands ready to welcome us back with open arms, with joyful celebration. It does not matter what you've done or how far you've gone. He's just waiting in hopeful anticipation for you to return home to him. That is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But church, how often do we forget that? Have you ever felt that you are so far gone that God would never take you back? God could never love me if he knew what I have done, if he knew what was in my heart, in my thoughts, if only he knew what I do in secret when no one's looking. Right? I've sinned so badly. I've messed up so badly. I can't come back to God. God could never love someone like me. Friends, I want to tell you today that that is so far off. That's not how our God operates at all. In this parable, we see what God is like through the father. The father, he's just waiting for his son to return. Years and years, he's just waiting. I think that the, the son, or the father could run to the son as soon as he saw him. He must have been waiting out there, just waiting, waiting, waiting to see the son. And so he's ready to run as soon as he sees him. Right? That is what God is like. That is what God is doing. God is waiting for you and for me to come home to him, to welcome us home with open arms, to forgive us, to love us, and to restore us as true sons and daughters. That is the type of God that we serve, and that is the heart of the gospel that we see in this story. And you would think that that's the end of the story, Right? happily ever after. They're celebrating, they have a party, they have the fattened calf, you know, everybody is good. But don't forget that there is another person in the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When we came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. This parable is often known as the parable of the lost son, but more accurately would it be called the parable of the two lost sons. There are two sons in this story that are lost. We can see it more obviously in the younger son, right? Who leaves home, squanders his father's wealth, openly rebels, right? But equally as lost is the elder son who obeys his father and remains at home. Only he doesn't, he doesn't quite know it. 
And you might be thinking, well, why? <laughs> right? Why was the elder son equally lost? What did he do wrong? Right? Maybe you kind of feel f- for the older brother. You, you relate to him a little bit. I know I do, just a little bit. Every single time I read this story, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm, I'm the elder son. I think maybe as Asian Americans, a lot of us can also relate to the elder son's uh, storyline a little bit more, right? He's the obedient one. He's the faithful one. He was the good Asian kid who followed all the rules and worked hard to do well and achieve, right? He never rebelled. He never did anything wrong, unlike his brother. How can he be lost? But you see, the older son, while doing everything right, gets everything wrong. While externally, the older son may seem like he's fulfilling his filial responsibility to his father through obedience and faithfulness, it's nothing but but duty and obligation and burden all the way down. There's no joy or love, no relationship or intimacy with the father. And we see it in the response, right? It says, you know, the the son, he finds out about the party, he hears the music and the dancing, and he gets angry. He wouldn't come inside, he wouldn't celebrate. He was angry that after all that his brother had done, he was welcomed back and even rewarded. He was bitter and jealous. He doesn't even address his father with respect, right? Dad, father, he says, look, I've been doing this. I've been serving you all these years. I've never disobeyed you. I've done everything right. And yet you didn't even give me a goat. Right? How is that fair? What about me? What about what I deserve? He couldn't even celebrate his brother's homecoming. He was self-righteous. He thought that he deserved more because he worked hard and he earned it. Right? Working could earn more favor, more blessing from the father. The older son was so close to the father, but so far from the father's heart. See, the thing is, you can be far from God and be lost, and yet you can be close to God and be equally as lost. The nuances of sin in this parable are so, so important for us to understand. You see, sin can stem both from immorality and morality. Sin can stem both from immorality and morality. The younger son sinned in his immorality, right, by his wild living, and you see it so obviously, right? We can point it out, squandering wealth, living frivolously, sleeping with prostitutes, right? It's all those sins that we can point to and say, yeah, he was a sinner. But the older son sinned in his morality, in his goodness, in his self-righteousness, by thinking he was better. He was better than his brother, more deserving of his father's favor, entitled to his stuff because he worked for it. He earned it. You can be so far from God and be lost, and yet you can be close to God and be equally as lost. And I might say that the the latter, I think, can be more dangerous, right? Because it often goes undetected. It's often hard to to, to tell. And because it flies under the radar, right, we fool ourselves into thinking that we're good, that everything is fine. 
Can you relate to the older brother at all? Like I said before, I, I, I do. <laughs> I, I, I relate to him a lot, actually. Whether it's by nature of our upbringing, you know, I see the values of Asian American culture, right? Duty, hard work, service, honoring parents, right? Or maybe it's the, the pressure of living in such a uh, fast paced, like the Bay Area, right? Where you want to achieve, you want to perform, you want to do well, right? That, whether we realize it or not, has an effect on us, right? I see, I hear people in our church actually say this a lot, like we're doers. We like to do things. We like to get things done. And that is not inherently a bad thing. But whether we realize it or not, sometimes we bring that same mentality into our faith. We wanna achieve. We don't wanna bring God the A's. Right? We go to church, we tithe, go to home group and prayer meetings and serve. We check all the boxes of what it would be like to be a good Christian. And while externally we might be doing all the, the good religious things for God, internally we can be so far from the heart of the Father. Right? We're so caught up in doing things for him that we completely miss out on being with him. Spending time with him, enjoying him, getting to know who he is. We don't have a relationship. We have a contract. One where if we work hard, if we follow all the rules and get all these things done, then we earn favor with God. Then we get the blessing. Then we are saved. But church, that's, that's not at all how God's grace works. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you see this? The, the, the father's response toward his elder son is filled with the same compassion that he had for the younger one. He looks lovingly at him and, and pleads with him to come join the party, right? He says, my son, my child, don't you understand? All that I have is already yours. There's no reason to be upset or bitter. You've already got everything. But celebrate, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see, church, this, this is exactly the, the lesson that Jesus wanted the Pharisees and the teachers who were listening to him to understand. Right? Remember, they, they were the ones that were upset at Jesus for showing grace, showing compassion to the sinners before him. They were the ones who did everything right according to the law, but they completely missed God's heart. They completely missed what he was all about. The God who welcomes sinners, who rejoices when they repent and come home. Right? They had a distorted view of God's grace. It was all about merit. It was all about righteousness. And Jesus wanted them to realize their mistake. But remember the tone of the story. Right? I, I think we often look at the encounters with Jesus and the Pharisees and, and think he's being really firm and harsh. And, and sometimes he is. But this story shows me that there is compassion for them to repent as well. 
right? He looks at his son lovingly. He's extending that invitation to this brother as well. He's saying, come home. Stop working, stop doing what you, just come home. And that's where the story ends. The parable ends on a cliffhanger. We're not told what ends up happening with the older brother, and I think that's intentional. Right? It leaves the door open for Jesus' hearers, for us to respond. The younger son responded by humbly repenting and in turn being restored as a son. But the older son responded by getting angry and refusing to join the party. So the question for us today is how, how will you respond? Right? You can be the younger son, you can be the older son. I know we probably see a little bit of ourselves in both of them, right? You can be the younger, you can be the older, but both are lost. The difference is in the response. The difference is that one sees his lostness and the other one is blind to it. One humbly receives the father's invitation and the other rejects it. One comes home and is found and the other remains lost in his ways. Church, the fact is is that we are all broken. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all prodigals in a sense that we've gone away from him, whether by being bad or by being good. But the good news of this story is that God is ready and waiting to forgive. And his grace is abundant to all who repent. Through Jesus Christ, God has made a way for you and for me to come home. So I ask you again, how will you respond to God's invitation today? Welcome home is not simply about coming to ch- church um, or just enjoying our new church building, though that, you know, that comes with it. But welcome home is an invitation to come home to the Father. And church, I, I'm gonna invite the worship team up right now as we close, but I want us to spend a little bit of time in reflection and in response. And so just for a moment, if you will, um, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. And at this moment, I just want to, you know, just push all of the distractions away. And I just want you to think about your relationship with God right now, right in this moment. Imagine that it's just you and him. And be honest with him. Be honest with your father who is kind and gentle and compassionate who loves you so much. Let him know how you're doing. If you feel like you're the younger son in this season, Maybe you've, you've gone astray, you've turned away from the Lord and tried to live your own way, but you wanna come back. The Father loves you and welcomes you to return just like the son in the story. If you feel broken and you're hurting, maybe you have come to that 
lowest point in your life. Maybe you're in that situation right now. You feel hopeless. You feel purposeless. God is waiting for you to come home in the safety of his presence, in the security of his grace. Maybe you feel overwhelmed right now by your own sinfulness, right? Maybe you've been falling away from your faith and, and just you need him, you need the grace and you wanna come back to Jesus again. He's waiting for you. He's just waiting for you to come through those doors, to run to you, to embrace you, to kiss you, to welcome you back. Maybe you're like the older son You've done all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, you're far from him. You're disconnected. You don't know him deeply. You don't enjoy his presence, but you want to. He's calling out to you today and inviting you to come join the party. Can you picture it, friends? Imagine God running to you, running to you and saying, welcome home my child. Welcome home. Come and be with me. Spend time with me. Right? Receive my love and forgiveness this morning. Welcome home. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you loved so much, so deeply, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to make a way for us to return, to make a way for us to come home to you. Lord, we thank you for your abundant grace, your forgiveness that's offered to us through Jesus. We thank you that you are so loving, so compassionate, that you would welcome us home, no matter what we've done in our past, no matter how far we may be right now. We thank you, Lord. And so Lord, I wanna pray for anyone here today that needs to remember and experience your grace this morning. Would you cover them? Would you meet them here? Would you show your love to them and embrace them in the safety in the arms of the Father? them the depths of your great love for them this morning. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are. Would you be praised and glorified in this place? In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.